Do you worship God? Question. What does it mean to worship God? Well, it, it, it definitely means more than singing a song. Empty words without a heart connection, that's, that's not worship. Uh, going to church, um, no, that doesn't constitute worship. Showing up doesn't constitute worship. Giving money, if the heart's not involved, if it's giving compulsory or out of shame or based on selfish motives, uh, it's not worship. Um, we watched this series sometime back in the adult cafe, Wednesday night, family night. Rick Warren was saying, watching worship is not worship. And I thought, oh man, I'm writing that one down for my kids. And myself too, but my kids. Because sometimes we're at home and we put on some YouTube worship. We're having some family time with the Lord. And we'll sit there watching some amazing worship songs. But I thought, I'm going to read this one to my kids next time. I said, watching worship is not the same as worship. And encourage them to participate with their heart with their heart. And number one, worship begins in the heart. Worship begins in the heart. There was a song back in the 90s by Matt Redman, and man, did he nail it. The song was called The Heart of Worship, and the words are on the screen. When the music fades and all is stripped away and I simply come, longing just to bring something that's of worth that will bless your heart. I'll bring you more than a song, for a song in itself is not what you have required. You search much deeper within, through the way things appear, you're looking into my heart. And the chorus goes, I'm coming back to the heart of worship, and it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it, when it's all about you, it's all about you, Jesus. Hmm. James, in the New Testament, he calls out a disconnect. He's addressing the first century church in Jerusalem. James 1, 22 through 24, he says, Don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word, you don't obey. It's like glancing at your face in the mirror. You see yourself, you walk away, you forget what you look like. <clears throat> Worship is not going through motions. It's not subpoint lip service to God. It's not religious observation. It's not dead works. That does not equate to love and devotion. James continues in verse 27. He says, Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans, widows, and their distress, and refusing to let the world corrupt you. Reminds me of the book of Isaiah. There's a lot of scriptures in Isaiah that talk about God not wanting pious meetings and heartless sacrifices. But he's looking for a heart engagement from his people. Book of Revelation, there's a letter. John is writing in the book of Revelation, a letter to the seven churches in the church of Ephesus. He says, you guys are doing A and B and C, which are great things, but I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Another version says, nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Jesus, he addressed hypocrisy in Matthew 15, seven through nine. 
the Pharisees were watching him and his disciples and they observed that, oh, Jesus and his disciples, they didn't partake in the ceremonial traditional hand washing before eating. And so they were judging Jesus and his disciples based on the traditions of man that they had set up that gave them a perceived sense of self-righteousness and holiness and purity. And Jesus said, you hypocrites, in verse 7. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, for he wrote, these people, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. How many great churches, great church movements over the centuries have ended or have become casualties because of comfort or compromise or because things became, they went from relational to religious and became ceremonial, religious rote, pharisaical, Worship begins in the heart, but it will not stay there. Worship should and will permeate our whole body. Deuteronomy 6, 5. You must love the Lord. This was the Ten Commandments to the nation of Israel. You must love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, your spirit, your mind, your emotions, your physical body. I remember 20 years ago going to a men's retreat. And, and we were at the men's retreat, and there was a message. There was um, just, just a person speaking to the men and said, Men, a lot of us love God with a little bit of our spirit. We realize God loves us. He sent Jesus to die for us. We, we appreciate that. We, we love God in that manner. But we don't love God with very much of our mind, with our mental faculties, with the thoughts that we have and that we entertain throughout the day, or the study of God's word. We just don't love God with very much of our mind. And our strength throughout the day, the work of our hands, the posture of our personhood in worship to God, it's almost absent. And I remember when I first came to Life Church 15 years ago, that there was a, a gentleman, um, uh, probably in his 60s, successful businessman, um, entrepreneur, and I remember him sitting right back in this section right here, and during worship, he would have his hands up, and he'd be singing and praying. He was about six foot five, taller than me, and just praising God. And that was so impactful to me to see this man worshiping God undignified. And it was okay if people thought he was undignified. Worshiping God with his spirit, soul, body. 1 Timothy 2.8, in every place of worship, I want men to pray with holy hands, lifted up to God, free from anger and controversy. Hands are symbolic of our life. Our love, our work, our play, our interactions with our wife, uh, our interactions with our children. With our hands, we drive our cars, we handle money. And so when we lift up our hands, we're symbolically, symbolically surrendering to God. We're worshiping God. We're saying, all that I am, all that I have, 
I submit to you, to your care. I give you your worship. You're the great God, the great God. John 4, 19 through 24, the Samaritan woman. Sir, the woman says to Jesus, I see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain. That was Mount Gerizim, Samaria. But you Jews say that the place where one must worship is in Jerusalem. Her mind is on traditional location, ceremony, religion. Jesus says, believe me, woman. Jesus replied, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You will worship or you worship what you do not know, and we worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. But a time is coming, and now has come, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such as these to worship him. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. <clears throat> when Jesus came <clears throat> and he laid down his life, for us, he said, all who believe in me will not perish, but have eternal life. He says, all who believe in me, I will put my spirit in them. And so all of a sudden, you have the spirit of grace and mercy, the spirit of Christ himself redeeming you, living inside of you, and you have the capacity to now worship God in a way that people in the Old Testament never had. The Holy Spirit of God <clears throat> living on the inside of you, making your spirit alive, that marriage between God's spirit and your dead spirit makes your spirit now alive and capable of worshiping God in ways that you could not prior to his coming. In spirit, in spirit, with passion, open to the supernatural, dependent upon God. In spirit and in truth, sincerity is important but not enough. Saul was persecuting Christians. He was on the road to Damascus. He was zealous for God, but working against God. People can worship whatever they want and call it God, but if it does not cohere with historical and theological realities, it is fantasy. It's detrimental to one's state. We need a right mental grasp of the way that God really is, a right heart grasp of God's worth, his values, in spirit and in truth. I thought of, um, when I hear that phrase, um, there's probably a lot of things we could talk about, a lot of great cross-references. <clears throat> but I thought of when we worship in spirit, but not in truth, I kind of think of a lot of emotion and fervor, but ultimately it's, it's misdirected. I think of, of kind of back in the 80s, 90s, when God was doing some supernatural things, amazing things, healings and miracles and signs of, of certain, certain things. And yet, and there was an openness to the supernatural in the 70s, 80s. But the focus almost shifted from the gospel and it shifted from sound doctrine to experiences. There's this, this focus on experiences that actually distracted from God's kingdom truths and his principles and holiness. When one worships in truth, but not in spirit, 
something else happens, they miss the forest for the trees, we become full of knowledge, maybe, and pride. We grow confident in our doctrine, but our doctrine becomes empty of life. There is not a dependency upon the Holy Spirit. There's an absence of power, love, life. Things become dry, religious, rote, pharisaical. People leave no room for God to act in the moments because they already have an explanation intellectually, and they've ruled out and left out God's spirit. Um, I've said this before from the pulpit, but um, I met with a pastor some years back, and he said that he saw in the 70s, 80s, that God was, his spirit was moving, and there was um, such cool things happening, involving even signs and miracles and healings of sorts. And he said, but then, you, then all of a sudden, that became the focus. And you started seeing shows on television, and you saw preachers taking advantage of these situations and trying to manipulate or um, recreate these spiritual moments and a lot of fakery. And uh, it left a bad taste in a lot of mouths, including myself growing up in the 80s. And I saw some of that, and I thought, I don't want anything to do with that. And so we, the church threw the baby out with the bathwater, and the pendulum swung from the openness to the Spirit of God. We thought, okay, we're done with that craziness because we see some people barking like dogs and there's things, and they say it's of God, and it's completely distracting from the gospel of Jesus Christ and God's principles and his promises and sound doctrine. And so the pendulum swung way over where everybody then switched and started going to churches that are doctrinally rich and strong and grounded and, and great study of scripture, great hermeneutics, except there was a closing off to the things of the Spirit of God. And we were so, we, we, we have our principles, we're going to live by our principles, and, and we don't have an openness in our heart to maybe a movement or something that God might want to do in the moment. The power of God, the life of God, His Holy Spirit working. And so this pastor that I talked to, he says, my prayer is that this next generation will be one that marries the two, that worships God in spirit and openness and a longing and an expectation and a willingness and yet grounded in God's doctrinal truths, married one to another, worshiping God in spirit and in truth. So Summarizing that first point, worship begins in the heart. True worship begins in the heart, but it involves the spirit, the soul, the body. True worship is not empty or misguided confessions or proclamations. It is accomplished through the spirit and in truth. True worship constitutes love and devotion according to truth that will inevitably express itself externally through, number two, worship expresses itself externally through the fruit of our lips. Hebrews 13, 15 talks about our words. It talks about our mouth. It says, therefore, let us offer to Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming our allegiance to his name. Confession, praise, proclamation. You are great, God. You are awesome, my Lord. Speaking truth to the Lord. 
confessing sins to the Lord, praising him, honoring him. Worship shows up in the way that we talk and what we talk about. James 3, 8 through 10 says, No one can tame the tongue. It is a restless, it's evil, it's full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises the Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who've been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Guys, uh, one way that we worship God is by everything that comes out of our mouth all day long. Ephesians 4.29, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Colossians 4.6, let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have a right response for everyone. You know, our words are an expression of faith in God or they're expressions of doubt in his care and ability throughout the day. Does my mouth worship the Lord during the day or is cursing found on my lips during the day? Are my words expressions of faith or doubt throughout the day? I'm not going to answer that. God help us. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. What we say really does shape our minds, our expectations, our future. It really does nurture or destroy. That was Hebrews 13, 15. The very next verse tells us another way that we worship God. It says, don't forget to do good and to share with those in need. These are the sacrifices that please God. It's the fruit of our deeds, Subpoint: Showing love, forgiveness, sharing, helping. It's giving our lives. Giving our lives. Romans 12, 1 And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God. Just give them to God because of all he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. It's saying, God, here I am. You use me today. Do with me what you will today. There was the bracelet back in the day, and it said what? What would Jesus do? WWJD? Yep. This is a good bracelet. It's a good reminder. If you only live for yourself each day, there's a disconnect. Your worship is dysfunctional. Ask God for forgiveness. Ask him to show you what he wants you to do throughout the day. The problem is, is that we're selfish. We often don't want to worship We don't want to worship with our mouth. We don't want to worship with our deeds. We want to cater to ourself or do what's comfortable. And that's number three. Worship needs to be cultivated. Worship needs to be cultivated. In fact, David, mighty warrior David, sometimes he did not feel like worshiping. He wrote a lot of psalms, but some of his psalms were when he did not feel like worshiping. And he would take his spiritual hand place it on his fleshly neck, and he would say, let all that I am praise the Lord. With all my whole heart, I will praise his holy name. 
Let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things he's done for me. The NIV says, praise the Lord, O my soul. He's telling himself. He's saying, David, praise the Lord. He's like, I don't feel like praising the Lord right now. David, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, my soul, and all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Worship needs to be cultivated. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Everything in me, bless his holy name. David is talking to himself, and he's telling himself, self, worship the Lord. Worship the Lord. I need to train my body and my mind to worship. Same thing as with our kids. We have to teach and train our kids to be grateful because guests will come by or someone will come by and give our kids some gifts, and they're like, Oh, cool, thanks. And they're, they're off plan. I'm like, dude, this person just spent a lot of money on you. You need to say thank you. You need to show some gratitude. We train our children to have hearts of gratitude and awareness. We have to train our minds and our bodies to worship the Lord and say, self, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Get with the program, Travis, and praise the Lord. My spirit's ready. My spirit is, is, has, has been married to Christ. My spirit is always praising God. But it has, to, it has to take authority over my flesh and my mind, and I need to allow it to do so and get the rest of myself in line to praise the Lord. Why is it important to praise God out loud? It's important to train our bodies to align with our spirit and not vice versa. When we let our minds and our bodies train our spirits, that's putting the caboose in front of the engine. That, that's messed up. That's the cart in front of the horse. It's important not to just worship when we feel like it. I mean, do you just brush your teeth when you feel like it? I hope not. I hope not. We need to stay disciplined. It's important not to worship half-heartedly all the time, but rather wholeheartedly. Worship is not at all about feelings. Although they will often follow our worship, sometimes, I guess sometimes I have an overflow, right? Something it happens awesome or I have a revelation of, of who God is or he comes through for me in some manner, my family, and I just, I can't help it. I'm just like, thank you, God. Yeah, awesome, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And that's an overflow and that's great. But a lot of times, I have to force myself like David I have to train myself like David to worship. We have to do that. We can worship God in confidence that he hears us and he receives our worship, whether we feel like it or not, whether we feel like he's close or not close. It's not based on our feelings. Our feelings are very inaccurate. They're very unreliable. But God inhabits the praises of his people. Ways to worship publicly, corporately, privately, sometimes with voice and energy and physical movement. Listen, sometimes we're stuck in a funk and we need to shout and march around in our kitchen. Sometimes we're in a funk and we, we're having our little devotions every day and we sit in our couch and we read our chapter for the day or our devotion for the day, but we're kind of stuck in a funk and what we need to do 
I love you, Lord. I worship you, Lord. I praise your holy name because we're stuck in a funk and we need to combat apathy, lethargy, discouragement. We need to riot in the spirit. We train our bodies. Get our bodies in line and our minds and our mouths. Get them in line. Sometimes the correct posture of worship is stillness and quietness. Be still and know that I am God. Let my words be few. Sometimes things are loud, life is loud, and the world is spinning, and we need to get alone on our face before the Lord and be quiet and still for hours. And that is worship. Both of those scenarios are worship and it's expressions of faith. Isaiah 30, verse 15, this is what the sovereign Lord says, the Holy One of Israel, only in returning to me and resting in me will you be saved. In quietness and confidence is your strength. So there's a posture of the heart before the Lord. It's less religious, it's more relational. It's a heart reaching out in faith. It's a surrendering of one's will. It's a reliance and trust in God's ways and his timing. It's an obedience to his instruction. Worship needs to be cultivated. We have to train ourselves. And I heard a sermon that has stuck with me for 20 years now. I heard it when I was 20 years old. And it was based on Exodus 15, 21. Um, Actually, the entire chapter of Exodus 15 is after the Israelites have come out of 400 years of slavery. They've crossed the Red Sea and God delivered them from the armies of Pharaoh and the Egyptians. Um, Children of Israel, they passed through on dry land. The sea opened up. Amazing miracle of God. And then it closed in on the armies of the Egyptians, destroying them. And in Exodus 15, we see for 20 straight verses, praise and worship songs from the, from the Israelites, thanking God for the deliverance and the victory and the freedom. And it's just an overwhelming overflow. And, um, and, and it ends with verse 21 with another chorus. And this is Miriam, Moses' sister. She sang this song. It says, sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. He's hurled both the horse and the rider into the sea. And I don't know, I, as a kid and going to church, I sang that song. We sang a rendition of that song. I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider thrown into the sea. And we sing it over and over and over and over again. But this is what captured, and this is what I remember from 20 years ago. It wasn't that, it was this. What song did they sing on the other side of their problem, of the Red Sea? And Exodus 14, the prior chapter, shows us what song they sang. Let's look at this. Verse 10, as Pharaoh approached, the people of Israel looked up and they panicked when they saw the Egyptians overtaking them. They cried out to the Lord and they said to Moses, ready for their great song? Why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? What have you done to us? Why did you make us leave Egypt? Didn't we tell you that this would happen while we were still in Egypt? 
We said, leave us alone. Let us be slaves in, to the Egyptians. It's better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. What song are you singing when there's trouble in front of you? Sing the right song on the right side of the problem. That's a mark of Christian maturity when you can sing the right song on the right side of the Red Sea. They sang the right song on the flip side, and that was easy to do. How cool would it have been if they had sung that song prior to crossing the Red Sea? Sing the right song on the right side of the problem. That's a mark of Christian maturity, and that is where we're going, church. We're becoming a people that lives not by sight, but by faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. Our confidence is in the Lord. We can stare at problems and clouds and discouragement. And we can sing praise to God in faith. Worship is the opposite. Well, let's, let's do this. Number four, worship should lead us. Worship should lead us. Worship is the opposite of murmuring, complaining, doubting, fearing. We can't take the land. Our finances are bleak. Complaining is worshiping the devil. Complaining is worshiping the devil. It's magnifying the problems, the darkness, the despair in the world. It's not, it's not glorifying God. God looks for moments of faith to seize upon. Boom. In fact, 2 Chronicles 16.9, the eyes of the Lord, they search through the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. God is looking for someone to bless, to strengthen. In a powerful way, I think of Joshua and Caleb spying out the promised land. Think about Peter initially getting out of the boat, walking on water because his eyes are fixed on Jesus. He's dancing on the waves until he gets his eyes off of Jesus. But worship is an activation of trust and reliance. That's what it is. Worship, listen to that, is an activation of trust and reliance and faith. A friend of mine is having a particularly difficult day, and so he went to worship he went into his bedroom and locked the door and he said, I worshiped God for two hours and I just worshiped and worshiped. And he said, by the end of the two hours, God was so big, it didn't even matter that I existed. I cared nothing about myself at all in any way. I didn't even, it would have mattered if I was not alive. All I could see and, and understand is God's hugeness, his love, his power, his statutes, his virtues, his principles, his kingdom. And, and God got so big. A side effect of worship is often a shift in our perspective. Sometimes it is deliverance. Sometimes God does a miracle. Joshua 6, 2 through 5. Joshua fit the battle of Jericho. Worship should lead us. But the Lord said to Joshua, verse 2, I have given you Jericho, its king, all the strong warriors. You and your fighting men should march around the town once every day for six days. Seven priests will walk ahead of the ark, each carrying a ram's horn. 
On the seventh day, you are to march around the town seven times with the priests blowing the horns. And when you hear the priests give one long blast on the ram's horn, have all the people shout as loud as they can. Then the walls and the town will collapse and the people will charge straight into the town. What was God teaching the people here? He's teaching them that he was their source, their provider, their conqueror, their king, their power. It was not through their effort, their ingenuity, their intelligence, their battle strategy, their physical strength that they were going to win, but they were going to win because they trusted in the Lord. They obeyed his instruction. They were going to win because they worshiped the Lord. Get your praise on. Get your praise on. Hebrews 12, 2, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Fast forward from Joshua, the battle of Jericho. So they come out of slavery, out of Egypt. They enter the promised land. Jericho is one of the first big battles, and God does an awesome thing. And then, uh, and then the, the succession of kings begin in Israel with Saul and David and Solomon and Rehoboam and Jeroboam and, and so forth. And down the line, uh, another 100 years, uh, 200 years after that comes Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat was a good king, loved the Lord, uh, serving the Lord. And then all of a sudden, the nation of Judah got some terrible news. There were three kingdoms, Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, three kingdoms, three armies aligning to come against and destroy Judah, the nation of Judah and Jehoshaphat. <coughs> Jehoshaphat sought the Lord and the people sought the Lord. They were terrified. They prayed to the Lord. And look at this. Verse 20, 2 Chronicles 20, <clears throat> verses 20 through 24. Early the next morning, the army of Judah went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. On the way, Jehoshaphat stopped and said, listen to me, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you'll be able to stand firm. Believe in his prophets, and you will succeed. After consulting the people, the king appointed singers to walk ahead of the army. That is a great strategy. It is, actually singing to the Lord and praising him for his holy splendor. This is what they sang. Give thanks to the Lord, our God and King. His love endures forever. His faithful love endures forever. And they sang it. Verse 22, at the very moment they began to sing and give praise, the Lord caused the armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir to start fighting amongst themselves. The armies of Moab and Ammon turned against their allies from Mount Seir and killed every one of them. After they destroyed the army of Seir, they began attacking each other. So when the army of Judah arrived at the lookout point in the wilderness, all they saw were dead bodies lying on the ground as far as they could see. Not a single one of the enemy had escaped. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. Sing the right song on the right side, not being defeated in the mind, but standing upon the truths and the promises of God. So we just have Afghanistan happen. We have COVID-19 Delta, and a lot of people, even in our communities, 
struggling with that. We just had Hurricane Ida. We have economic tanking going on and inflation rising. Praise God who has a game plan, baby. Praise God. Praise God, man. I will dance all over that stuff. I'll dance all over that. Embracing a rebellious attitude against negativity. That's what we need to do because we belong to the kingdom of God. We embrace a rebellious attitude. We choose to be defiant against the clouds of discouragement and we rejoice. We've been in the middle of the joy project in Philippians this entire year. Pastor Bob's been taking us through that. How are you guys doing with that? You singing the song of victory through all this junk going on? Battle belongs to the Lord. Jesus has big plans for this fall and for this winter of 2021. And we'll advance through an attitude and a spirit of faith. We are winning today. Even if you have COVID right now, you're winning. You're winning. We're winning. Let's, let's take it to the New Testament. Acts 16, through 26. The crowd joined in attacking Paul and Silas. And the magistrates ordered that they be stripped and beaten with rods. After striking them with many blows, they threw them into the prison. They ordered the jailer to guard them securely. On receiving this order, he placed them in the inner cell, fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. You know what? Their spirit loved the Lord already, but what were they doing? They were making their mind and their body praise the Lord. In stocks. I would be like, I don't feel like it. I'm just kind of trusting the Lord in my heart. <laughs> and other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, a strong earthquake shook the foundations of the prison. At once, all the doors flew open. Everyone's chains came loose. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. <laughs> yeah, they posted that on Facebook. Took a selfie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Go to the next one. There, that's more like, that's more. That's the right slide. Yeah. Oh, man. We have an enemy, Satan, spiritual forces of darkness that stand in opposition to God and his people. We can't win the battle by fighting on his terms. God gives us a different set of weapons to use. It's prayer. It's our testimony. It's our worship. It's the word of God. It's the precious blood of Jesus by which we already have won the victory. We can't win our battles the world's way. We win through following God's battle plan. We live by radical worship. We praise God for his largeness, his worthy. It doesn't mean... Friends, it doesn't mean that we feel strong in the moment. But we're trusting the strongest person to ever walk the earth. We're trusting in Jesus. Not trusting our feelings, but we're trusting in God, who's proven himself faithful and true. Finally, verse uh, or number five in your notes today, worship means embracing our calling. <clears throat> And immediately I think of Esther 
in the Old Testament. Chapter 4, 14. Her uncle Mordecai telling her there's a plan for all the Jewish people to be killed in Babylon at the time. She's queen, and Mordecai is telling her that she needs to approach the king. She's going to have to do something very courageous, and it could mean the end of her life. But he says, if you keep quiet at this time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place, but you and your relatives will die. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for such a time as this? That's a question we can all ask ourselves. Not that I'm a queen, but I'm here in this spot in Mount Horeb with my family and my circles of influence for such a time as this. God has me here right now for such a time as this for his purposes. Jeremiah 1.5, God talking to Jeremiah, he says, before I formed you in the womb, Jeremiah, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. God had a plan for Jeremiah. God has a plan for you. Right now, as a grandpa, as a grandma, God has a plan for you right now for such a time as this. As a mom, as a dad, as a son, as a daughter, Right now, right here, in the midst of 2021, God has a plan for you right now for such a time as this. Before I formed you in the womb, God had plans, purpose, nobility written on you. John 15, 16, you did not choose me, Jesus said. He says, but I chose you, and I appointed you that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. Finally, Romans 12, 6 through 7, we have different gifts, all of us do, different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. God, subpoint, has opportunities for me. Worship means embracing our calling. If you're a mom or dad, you're chosen to be a mom and dad. If you're a teacher, a worker, a helper, a business person, you are chosen. Embrace your circle of influence, being intentional with that which God has entrusted to you. That is worship. And bear fruit, baby. Bear fruit. God created us to bear fruit. Today, what is God saying to you? How have you been convicted or challenged or encouraged in regards to worship? Worship is love and devotion. It's a response to the Lord. It begins in the heart. It's in spirit and truth. Reveals itself through our words, our deeds. It needs to be cultivated. Our mind and our bodies have to be trained and disciplined. We want to sing the right song on the right side. Worship should lead us. Worship means embracing our calling that God has given us, each of us, unique, important. Especially in 2021, September right now, I just want to challenge the church and myself that we be rebellious against negativity. 
and we have a mouth of praise and trust and faith. That's what comes out of our mouth. And that's what we're training our minds to, to think about. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Romans 12, 2. God bless us, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you have with your word and by your spirit this morning. You deserve the glory and the praise. Praise is our weapon, Lord. You've given it to us, Lord. We bless you today, Lord. I pray for those that are hurting. I pray for those that are uh, in difficult situations right now, Lord. In our congregation, in our communities of South Central Wisconsin, pray for our nation, Lord. We need your mercy, Lord. We need people of um, Christians, Lord, true Christians, to be in positions of influence, making a difference. We ask for your help, Lord. Lord, we commit ourselves to you today. It's not by might and it's not by power. It's by your spirit. It's not by us pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps and us acting strong. Lord, it's, uh, it's, us, it's us acknowledging that you're our source. You're our provider. It's us responding to your promises and your presence. And so we entrust ourselves to you today, Lord. We entrust ourselves to you. Hallelujah, that in your perfect time, Lord, you make all things beautiful in your time, your ways and your timing. Give us spiritual eyes to see, Lord, what you'd have us to see, to have the right perspectives. Oh, God, give us your vision, Lord, your winning vision. Hallelujah. Ah, in your mighty name we pray. Amen.